from Bayside Church International Victor Harbour. This is Chad Mansbridge. Good morning, everyone. Again, uh, if you are visiting here today, we're so glad you're here and our church family are going to put their hands together for you. Thank you. Very good to see you. I'm going to share a couple of thoughts with you today uh, on uh, Father's or Father's Day in particular and uh, then we'll get going on and celebrate the rest of the day. I know you guys, many of you have plans and uh, I'm just glad that that you're here today. Last week, I took a look at, uh, we took a look at Jesus' first ever recorded words and his first ever recorded words that we have were spoken when he was 12. So around about this age where he was at the temple, the church, okay, of his day, whatever. And uh, he said, listen, I need to be about my father's business. I've got a dad, okay, because his mum came up to him and said, hey, me and your dad have been looking for you. And Jesus is like, all due respect, mum, but I've got another dad and I need to be about his business. We then fast forward 21 years and saw another picture of Jesus at the temple when he was 33 and it was a very different picture of Jesus. He was kicking over tables and he was cracking whips and oh, it's one of my favourite Jesus pictures, right? And it says there that the, as he was doing this, the disciples were watching and remembered a verse from the Psalms that says, passion for your house will consume me. And here we see Jesus from 12 years of age, living his whole life, still passionate for God's business, still passionate for the Father's house. And so last week we uh, took a look at Jesus' first recorded words. And what I want to do this morning is just open very quickly with the Father's first recorded words spoken to Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. If you brought a Bible today, open up to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 3. Rob uh, quoted this in part just earlier and uh, we're going to have a look at that together. All right? Matthew. Any Matthews here today? No? Oh, of course. How could I forget? Ma- of course. Matthew is a great gospel. starts in chapter 1 with the human genealogy of Jesus, which the author splits up into three sections of 14 generations. Matthew's into numbers. All right, three lots of 14. And this is a little trick that uh, the Hebrew people played uh, in both the Hebrew writing, the Old Testament, and the Greek writing, the New Testament. There's actually no numerals. Those languages don't have numerals. When they want to write a number, they use a letter. And people, uh, you know, like an alpha letter. And as they write that, people are meant to know what that number is. Does that make sense? So they don't have numerals, one, two, three. They'll use the letter A for one. All right. So when this little trick he plays in Matthew 1 is really cool, he lays out three lots of generations that are 14 names each. And he does this to centre Jesus' genealogy around King David. And in Hebrew, David's name is DVD, basically, and it's DVD is 464. 4 plus 6 plus 4 is 14. So David's name means 14, and Matthew shapes Jesus' chronology or genealogy around groups of 14 names because he's trying to send a signal to his audience that this Jesus that is being born really is the promised one from David's family. Cool. Don't get me started on 666. Okay. So, that's that in Matthew 1. Matthew chapter 2 is the Christmas story. 
the nativity story essentially. In Matthew 3, Jesus comes along to his cousin John, who's baptizing people in water at the Inman River, uh, the Jordan River. And, um, and uh, when Jesus gets baptized, it says this at the end of John uh, chapter, sorry, 3, Matthew 3:16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Or the word there can mean resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, Rod, Todd, no, I'm kidding. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's what God sounds like, especially in the morning. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The obvious thing that this story shows us, which is really cool, is the triune nature of God. We see God the Father speaking over the Son as Holy Spirit comes upon him. Then there's a whole lot of subtle things that you may not know unless you're really well-versed in the Old Testament. Why did the Holy Spirit look like a dove? Well, this is a picture. This is meant to remind you of Noah. When at the end of God's judgment, the dove found a place to rest and didn't come back. And it was a signal that there is a new land and a new world order. The judgment is over. Peace has come. And my people can enter into a new era of peace because the dove didn't return. Well, that dove comes back in this story and lands on Jesus because a new age has come. A new day has dawned. A new land has been birthed. That's why one of the reasons Jesus was baptized in water, like Israel, that was baptized in water through the Nile River. They come out a new nation. Jesus went into the water and he comes out representing a whole new nation of people that would be born from him there's a lot of subtleties and illusions in this story but one of the obvious things that it shows us is this this is my son i love him and i'm pleased with him god the father speaks over jesus his identity his acceptance and his approval before he ever performed a miracle before he ever preached a sermon before he ever did anything in ministry god said you're my kid I love you and I'm pleased with you. And Jesus' identity and his acceptance and his approval from his dad came not from his performance, it came from his very personhood. His identity was in hearing the, vo- the divine voice speak to him and say, you're my kid and I love you and I'm pleased with you. And as Rob suggested before, those are words that all of y'all, all of us must also hear the Father speak to us. Those we are in Christ. And as God looks at us, he sees his son and he says to you today, you're my son. That is your identity. That's where your identity comes from. You are accepted. I love you and I'm pleased with you. Well, God can't be pleased with me. He doesn't know what I did this week. Well, he knows what I did this week. Listen, it doesn't say God's pleased with everything we do, but it said God is pleased with you. We've got to separate this thing of our performance and our personhood in our very personhood God loves you and accepts you and approves of you and that's where your identity needs to be rooted wow we're hearing the voice of God Hey, I love you. My identity does not come by how many Facebook likes I have, all right, how many people follow me or comment on my, on my Instagram posts or whatever. My approval and my identity and the acceptance I have comes from the knowledge that I've heard the voice of my Father say to me, I love you. And that is the voice that needs to override any other voice in our life. 
All right? It's that out of that security, because that's where we see now in the story, the chronology in chapter, not the chronology, what's the word? Genealogy in chapter 1. Chapter 2, the nativity. Chapter 3, the baptism, where he hears that voice. Chapter 4, Jesus, the very next voice he hears is the voice of an enemy saying, nah, I don't reckon that's true. Prove yourself. He hears the voice of an enemy, a testing in the wilderness, which again is another illusion, another picture of what Israel would like in the desert. Okay, whatever, I can't go there today. But it's a, this testing he went through in the desert where he hears the voice of the tempter challenge his identity. And Jesus, having heard the word of his father privately and having heard it publicly, stood confident in the face of that opposition and that doubt and said, I know who I am. I know who my daddy is and I know who I am. It is written. He comes through that test in chapter 4. He gathers around himself a group of friends that begin to follow him because his ministry did not begin in front of the crowds. His ministry started with a private word of endorsement that other people heard publicly. He was publicly endorsed in front of other people. He stood confident in that ministry, gathered a small group of friends, and in chapter 5, that small group of friends becomes a crowd because chapter 5 begins by saying, his disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them with his sermon on the mount by the end of that sermon it says there was a large crowd there what started with a small group of followers and friends became a large crowd as jesus delivered the sermon on the mount blessed are the cheesemakers and we all know oh come on blessed are the cheesemakers that's hilarious hilarious today i want to move from looking at the Father's first words over Jesus. <clears throat> I want to move from that chapter to, into chapter 5, 6 and 7 and I want to, to help us to find the Father in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, 6 and 7. That's your homework today. Go home and read it. Chapter 5, 6 and 7 in Matthew. I'm just going to pick one thing from each chapter. Boom, boom, boom. Three points. Very Chad. Those of you who are visiting, <laughs> this is classic Chad today, all right? Three points. They don't all start with the same letter. I didn't, no, I know, I, I really tried, really, really tried. But we're going to finish off our mini-series called Believe today. I'm going to talk about God, His Father and ours, finding the Father in the Sermon of the Mount. If you have Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, why don't we read from verse 43. Are you with me? You know where I'm going? You know when we get there. Chapter 5, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, said Jesus, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, I want you to love your enemies and I want you to pray for those who persecute you. Because if you do this, you will be called children of your father in heaven. This is what dad's like, he's saying. He, your father in heaven, causes his son to rise on both the evil and the good. He sends his reign on both the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward do you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that? So be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Yeah, there's, not a, there's a big ask, isn't it? All right, Jesus. Be, just cut to the chase, mate. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This word perfect... Um, there's a few ways you can interpret this word because Greek has multiple levels, levels and layers, okay? But it actually more communicates completeness. It means it to be complete. It talks about maturity, okay? It's used a lot in the book of Hebrews and, and in other books in the New Testament. So by perfect, it doesn't mean behave perfectly. 
It talks more about being perfectly mature and complete. The first point is this, that Jesus, as we find the Father in the Sermon on the Mount, first point is, our Father is secure. Our Father is secure. And when a Father is secure, it doesn't matter how other people treat Him, He doesn't change. So you can be my enemy today and then love me tomorrow and then be my enemy the next day and I don't change because I'm secure. I can love my enemies, I can love those who are good to me because my external situation doesn't change who I am because I am secure. That is the Father. The Father is secure. Why can He love His enemies? Why can He send, uh, uh, send rain on the good and the unrighteous? It's because He his character is not dictated to by his external situations, circumstances, or the way people treat him. All right? He does not change according to how people treat him in himself. He is perfectly secure. He does not change. And there's a common fault in many fathers, because fathers are people, in case you didn't know, but one of the common faults in many fathers as people and one of the cause of pain for many kids is those memories that you might have of your dad having a sudden or swift change in character that took you by surprise. Remember that moment that dad lost it? Some of us can laugh at that moment. For others of us, it's not so funny. But we saw our dad, the way that external situations set him off and we saw a part of our dad that was like, ooh, maybe he's not as secure as I thought. It is what Alan Meyer was here a few years ago and he preached on something called the parental paradox. It's, it's watching your dad, Noah, okay, listen to God, build an ark, save your whole family and thinking your father, Noah, is the best thing since sliced bread. My dad is awesome. My dad's Noah. He saved the world. And then reading the next chapter of Genesis, which sees your dad naked, drunk, in his tent, absolutely blotto. And he said, this is the situation we had. Remember that? And two of the sons, one of the sons went in and went, <laughs> come check out dad. And two of the sons would not even dare to look. They just put a blanket over him by walking him backwards. They acknowledged the reality of the frailty of their dad, but they were still able to honour him in that situation. It's not excusing and it's not looking over. It's just saying, I'm going to keep a respectful view of my dad because I've experienced a paradox now. The great father I thought was a hero and perfect may not be that perfect after all. What's your point, Chad? Human fathers will let us down in this area and that is not a point that we dwell on today. The point we dwell on today is the fact that our Father is always secure. Our Father in heaven is secure. He is perfect. He is complete. And this is why one of the themes from beginning to end of the Scriptures, and Moses started it, of course, in, in, mainly in Deuteronomy 32. He says, Our God is a rock. His ways are perfect. And all His ways are just. Our God is a rock. He does not change like shifting shadows. And that's why we say around here, there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you more because who do you think you are to change that rock? God said he loves you. It's an undying, everlasting love and he will not be changed by you because he is secure. And that should bring you great security. That is my father. 
My Father is secure, and that's why I can trust Him. And everyone said, yes. Amen. Chapter 6. Second point, your Father is attentive. Chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful, Jesus says, not to practice your righteousness in front of others in order to be seen by them. Because if you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they've already received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand's doing so that your giving may be in secret. Because then... Your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Your Father, who sees. Say, my Father sees. And he sees what is done in secret. And Jesus said he will reward you. He, he repeats that sentence twice as you keep reading this chapter in regards to prayer, in regards to giving, in regards to fasting. He says exactly the same thing. Your father sees what you do in secret and he is willing and ready to reward you for that. Point is this. Your father is attentive. Your father sees. You have your father's attention. His eyes are on you. Your dad is aware of you. Your dad is consciously aware and attentive towards you. And this chapter ends with Jesus saying, don't worry about your life, about what you eat or drink. You know, look at the clothes, look at the lilies of the field, look like the birds of the air. Your father knows your needs and he will meet them. How much more will God meet your needs? He is attentive and he will attend to you. He is the God who sees and he is the God who will see to it. What does Jehovah Jireh mean? Jehovah Jireh means the Lord who sees. And it means the Lord who provides because the Lord who sees is the Lord who will see to it. And that is what this chapter demonstrates to us from the opening to the closing verses in chapter 6. He is the one who provides for our needs in the here and now and he is the one that rewards our efforts in the hereafter. Say that again, Chad. He is the one who provides for our needs in the here and now and he is the one that rewards our efforts in the hereafter. Our God is attentive. He is observant. He takes notice of you. He is aware of your situation and he is aware of your activity. You see, another common fault among fathers, because they're people, is whether we don't pay attention to our kids. Distractions, indifference, busyness, preoccupations... Cats in the cradle, silver spoon, little boy blue, man on the moon. One day, one day, one day I'll get around to spending some time with my kids. One of the common mistakes we make as dads is being distracted and not paying attention. And often the result of that are those two things. We do not meet the needs of our kids in the here and now. Or we do not reward them appropriately because we do not pay attention to the successes and the efforts that they put in. Well, Jesus says, your father in heaven is not like that. Your Father in heaven is attentive to both the smallest bird and the most fleeting of flowers. And he closes chapter 6 by saying, how much more will he not pay attention to you? How much more? If he notices the little bird, 
If he notices the flower that is here today and tomorrow is gone, who noticed that? Who cares? If a tree falls in a forest, does anyone hear it? You know, if a flower dies in a forest and no one's, does anyone notice? Yeah, God does. God pays attention. How much more does he not pay attention to you? Your father is secure and your father is attentive. Lastly, your father is responsive. Your father is responsive. And I need to make this point. We'll read the verse in a moment. Because if we just finished by saying your father is secure and attentive, then that could back up the picture that some of us had growing up of our dads of being the big silent Buddha. How many of you had a dad that was like, there, he was secure, he will not be moved. And he was attentive, which means he was watching. But like the Great Wall of China, he could not be penetrated. Like the silent Buddha, he was just there glaring and staring. The big fridge that was sort of cold and not engaging. But our dad's not like that. Our dad is responsive to us and willing to engage with us, mind, body, soul, emotionally. Our dad is responsive. I promise you one point from every chapter. This is chapter 7, verse 7. He says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Well, who's doing the opening? Who's doing the answering? Who's responding here? Verse 9. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Well, if you then, though you are evil, no offense, dads, but if you then, though you are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who, to those who, because your Father is responsive. If you ask, if you knock, if you seek, he is not the cold-hearted, silent Buddha wall of China that cannot be penetrated. He is a responsive dad. He is responsive and he responds with generosity. As Jesus said, you, if you dads know how to respond to your kids when they ask how much more your Father in heaven will respond generously. How much more will he respond kindly? How much more will he respond according to who his kids are? Because he knows you. And how much more will he respond with those very same words he spoke over Jesus when he said, you're my kid. I love you. And I'm pleased and proud of you. Our dad's responsive. And the only reason we worship him, which we're going to do in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. We'll get the team up. All of our worship is a response to what he's already done for us. And this is where our relationship with him becomes an an entirely reciprocal thing. He gives, we respond. He gives, we respond. He gives, we don't respond. He gives. We respond. He gives, we don't respond. He gives. We respond again. Your father is secure. And that doesn't mean he doesn't treat us uniquely. 
He does treat us uniquely. He knows who we are. He treats people according to the covenant relationship they're in. We know that if you understand the whole Bible. But He is secure. You can trust Him because in His nature and His character, He does not change. And you know what you're going to get today. You don't have to worry when you approach your Heavenly Father that He might have had a bad day at work or a bender the night before. You know what you're going to get. He is attentive to you and He responds as you approach Him. And one of the reasons we know these things about Him is because this is the God that Jesus reveals to us. Jesus had two main purposes for coming to the planet 2,000 years ago. He had a ministry of revelation. His job was to reveal what God is like. And number two, He had a ministry of reconciliation to bring us into a relationship with this God, to reveal God, he said, if you've seen me, this is what my dad's like. This is what your dad is like. If you've seen me, you know what dad's like. And he gave his life on the cross so that we could enter into a right relationship with that holy God. And that's one of the reasons that we celebrate, we worship, and we are so proud of Jesus. And we boast in Jesus because he has done what he was asked to do so faithfully. He's shown us what our dad is like. And he has provided a way for us to draw near to him. I don't know everyone here today. I don't know how you've come to be here. I know some of us are visiting because of baptisms, but I don't know everyone and I don't know where you're at with your relationship with God. You might say, well, I don't believe in God. And as we say around here, well, God believes in you. God believes in you. And Jesus has made it possible for all people to participate in a relationship with him, to know his presence, and to enjoy His provision. And that is not only for now, but it's for all time and eternity because Jesus said, if you believe in me, you have eternal life. We all want to go to heaven one day. Well, heaven's God's home. And He wants you to have a relationship with Him here on planet Earth, to have a seamless crossover in eternal life. You know this Father. He's inviting you to know Him. And wherever you're at in your relationship with God today, I pray that you would take one step closer, one step nearer to Him. I'm going to ask you to respond today just by singing the song together. To some of you, it's going to be a love song that you know. For some of you, you may sing these words for the first time and mean it today. And if that's you, I'd love to pray with you after the service. But I'll explain that again later. Why don't you stand on your feet and just thank our Father this morning. The Father of how much more. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.